camera back. I know where my dad put it. We can still make the festival. It's not about the movie. Then what is it about? Jesus, you don't get it, do you? It's obvious. What's obvious? God, you're a dumbass. That night of the crash, you started getting all weird. What? What are you talking like, about? Like Mr. Attitude all of a sudden. Your movie was over. That's what you said. You were upset. Oh, my God. I give you a camera. I helped don't you. Don't pretend like you did this for me. You didn't do this for me, and you know it. This was never about me. This was always about Alex. Well, you're the one who wanted the wife in the movie. Not so you could fall in love with her. What do you care what I think about Alice anyway? Because I like her. That's why I asked her to do this thing in the first place, so I could get to know her. Not you. You like Alice Daner? You're such an idiot. I do like her. Sorry about that. Shut up. It's okay. It's not even what bothers me. She likes you too. That's what really bothers me. The personal and the artistic clash as amateur filmmaker Charles falls out with his best friend Sam in Super 8, which is director J.J. Abrams' love letter to the films of Steven Spielberg. This week, we watched Steven Spielberg's own love letter to himself as we review his semi-autobiographical coming-of-age drama, The Fablemans. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. I'm Sam. And I'm Lawrence. Hey Joe, we need some more footage of the train crash, obviously. You know that train model you just made? Your, your cargo train. I want to blow it up and film it. Let me blow it up. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Manly. Yes. So, uh, this week we watched The Fablemans, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, a name you're going to hear a lot in this podcast, and Sam's going to tell you the plot. Sammy Fableman lives in New Jersey with his parents Mitzi and Bert, and three younger sisters. Sammy becomes fascinated with cinema from an early age, an interest that will dictate all his formative years. However, as a teenager, he finds out about an affair between Mitzi and his father's best friend, a revelation that could deter him from pursuing his ultimate passion. Or, as a haiku, an artist grows up. Family imitates art, imitates Stephen. Imitate Steven. Oh, because he goes on to become you know, a... Steven Spielberg, Spielberg yes. Yeah, that's the whole yeah. point of the poem. Right, it's yeah. Just... just that I, More and more these haikus are just wasted on you. So like, that was so multi-layered and... Get comp- I mean, I, I think... Like the film? Multi-layered like the film? Uh, no, well, well, we'll get into that. You know, people are tuning in for these haikus. They're, they're really special. Really, with that one, I leave it on the, the final line about imitating Steven... Because the film's all about Steven Spielberg, really. This this is a Steven Spielberg. This is a Spielberg fest. Or, or is it? Or is it? No, it is. It, is, no. it definitely, <laughs> is. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. I think it's uh, appropriate that the first film we review this year is from a cinematic mammoth that is Steven Spielberg. Will it kick the year off to a good start? Well, we'll, we'll find out. And you can be the judge of that by uh, listening to a clip from The Fablemans. Well, we'll be the judge of that in the review. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) I forgot that's what we do on this podcast. Yes, just agree with everything we say. Okay, here's a clip. Movies are dreams. That you never forget. You dismiss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been the concert piano player. 
What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Yeah, so The Fablemans has been out for a few weeks now. It's already got a lot of awards nominations. So yeah, so it's it's been a big deal. Was it a big well, deal for you? It's been a big deal, not in terms of box office. It kind of bombed in the United States, but then it was released just before the the, the end of last year over there, and before any awards nominations. So people didn't go and see it. Spielberg's there, like, why don't people want to come see a film about me? me. <laughs> Every filmmaker is going to feel that way. Feels like there's lots of filmmakers that are making, not necessarily films about themselves always, but definitely about their relationship with cinema. There seems to be lots of films about cinema out, that like Babylon and Empire of Light and stuff, like almost as if someone's trying to pitch cinema to the, to the audience anew after some traumatic event that meant that lots of people couldn't go to the cinema. All the fact that streaming services are such a big part of everyone's lives now. Yeah. And how actually, like, choosing not to go to the cinema is a legitimate thing. Yeah. And so, but so yeah, it could, could be that there's something going on there. Right, that's been your tinfoil hat section of the of the podcast. We'll take that off. I can't remember what the question you asked me. You, 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 you were gonna, we were going to get into the review, right? No, yeah, yeah. Just, well, just sort of give us a bit of a, a taster of, of what you what you felt about uh, it. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a very mixed. This is a bit of a messy, self-indulgent film. I mean, it's inevitably a filmmaker making a film about himself is self-indulgent. <laughs> Who would have funk it? Who would have funk it? I mean, I, I, well, I feel like a bit of a Grinch, like every day, at, uh, every day. <laughs> I feel like a bit of a Grinch uh, attacking this film because there is a kind of warmth to it that might not have happened also if it wasn't Spielberg which is another kind of problem with it you know a project like this is inherently self-indulgent but I I think what's worse about it is that it kind of feels like two films in many ways like the the, there are these two kind of things about like him wanting to be a filmmaker and and his family life and family drama and these strands don't always like coalesce and there's lots of ways that they they could have done but they just don't. They feel like a little bit disjointed. And I think that's one of the main flaws with it. Both of these strands are a little bit subpar anyway. I'd I mean, slightly disagree with you on that. Just because I think the dynamic between his parents is quite interesting. Because like in the first scene of the film, we see Mitzi and Bert explain to Sammy what cinema is on his first trip to the movies. And it's kind of Bert is explaining the mechanical side and how it's normal people. But the technology makes them bigger on screen. Well, sort of Mitzi explaining the spiritual essence of a film and how they are like dreams. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of perfect encapsulation of how this the influence of these two people will have on Sammy's lives and his love of cinema. Because ultimately, that's what films are, right? It's the mix between the mechanical and the, the spiritual, you know, these ideas of, of that people have. And yeah. I kind of thought that was a really good way to start You're going to make me cry. That's really <laughs> lovely. Yeah. Oh, Sam. No, but it, but it is. And, like, there's... Again, it's obviously because it's Spielberg, it's a really well shot and framed scene. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, after that, okay, it, it, yeah, it maybe does plateau a bit in, in certain areas. And yeah, perhaps a bit longer than it should be. But I don't know, I guess that, that central dynamic of these two parents influencing his filmmaking 
I think I think he's quite good actually. It's a bit on the nose though. I mean, like what you said that that direct Steven Spielberg. <laughs> every film he makes is on the nose. Uh, well, on those two people's dy- dynamic, I mean, I I think that's some of the best parts of it actually. Like the the really great performances in that coming of age portion, particularly by Paul Dano who plays. Sammy's father and Michelle Williams as his mother. And it does capture the strange and the struggles of growing up effectively in that time, the different things that were pulling them. And there is that dynamic, right? But it does just feel a little bit cardboard. I don't know whether that's like Spielberg. I don't know whether that's just visions of the 50s and 60s that kind of do. Which is, sorry, which is where the, the film is set. Yeah. I don't think we've said that yet, but yeah. That's good that you, you brought that up. Yeah, it is kind of a bit of a nostalgia piece about this America from the past. Yeah, and that part feels a little bit cardboard at times. And I understand that, like, a, a, somebody looking back on their life, they're not necessarily going to make something that always shows the real raw trauma. Though, well, Spielberg wouldn't, but I think there are, are artists that actually would want to show that. But, like, I suppose it just doesn't feel very raw. It doesn't. It doesn't ever feel raw. It's, it always feels like quite soft and cuddly, like the trauma and the difficulty and the bumps in the road. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's melancholy, isn't it? It's. It's not. As you say, it's not traumatic. There's nothing ever. There's no event in the film that you feel is kind of scary. Although actually, there is a certain amount of anti-Semitism. Yeah. that happens um, when Steve. Um, when. I'm just going to forever call him Stephen. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I was wondering if this was going to be the problem, right? So, yeah, sorry. When the Fablemans, when Sammy and the Fablemans moved to California, there is a certain amount of anti-Semitism. I mean, I think actually that's quite brave of uh, of Spielberg and um, Tony Kushner, who's the the other writer on this, and the fact that they they talk about this because obviously there would have been a lot of anti-Semitism at the time, as there still is, but you could have kind of bypassed that in a way because when you're making this kind of melodrama about your family and your upbringing. And this, there's this kind of central premise about the fact that Mitzi is having an affair with with Bert's best friend. You know, you, you, that would be the, the sort of the centerpiece. But there is that kind of anti-Semitism towards towards the end, which just I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of shows people were racist in the fifties <laughs> and the sixties. That is brave, bold. Well done, Stephen. No, no, I, I, I think it's an element of the story that could have been passed over but it, but it's not really okay maybe you think that perhaps more could have been done there or perhaps they could have been a bit investigated a little bit more but yeah that's that's kind of a part of of what happens to to sammy in, in his upbringing and ultimately probably what what molds him in future films obviously spielberg went on to make schindler's list yeah i think he's explored yeah and he's definitely explored anti-semitism there just a little bit yeah but I guess kind of getting back to the parents, yeah. I kind of was interested a bit with Mitzi, really, mm. just because she is, she's almost like the first actor that Sammy has to work with. Do you get that sense in the fact that he, like, there's a yeah. one point, there's a one point where, when they're in Phoenix before they move to California, and then they go on a family, like, camping holiday, and mm. he's taking a, a, a camera with him, like a Super 8. And he's filming her, and he ends up making like a film about that holiday. Yeah, and it kind of the focus is on her and her eccentricities. I kind of find that quite quite interesting, really, because she is someone who suffers with manic depression. Mm. I think that's established early on, um, and yeah, but the sense that he's kind of always filming her, and he's almost a bit of a voyeur, really, to his mother. And I'm not sure if you could kind of go to the extent of saying that he gets a performance out of her, or he tries to kind of mould her as directors do to. 
actors. Mm. But yeah, she is that kind of focus of his of his films early on. Yeah, and the parents' presence in his life is well established. And I, I think it from that strand, the kind of coming of age strand, there are things. I mean, you know, I I, I, I complain about a, a certain amount of woodenness, but. Some of it just works. Like, some of it really... Like, you you know, Spielberg is this institution, you know, a name that means cinema to so many people, right? But you you forget how how good he can be at, at filmmaking, how he just understands the fundamentals of filmmaking and how you communicate certain emotions and you can see a scene that really works, you know. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Mask of Zorro, the film Mask of Zorro, which is a film I'd, I'd, I always love an excuse to talk about. But Steven Spielberg executive produced it. And I like Mask of Zorro so much that I've watched the commentary. And Martin Campbell said that where Spielberg was really, really great as an executive producer is he would have just these little ideas about how the camera should work and stuff like that. In the climax, there's this like fuse going to a bomb and, and then one of the characters like cuts the fuse. And Spielberg kind of came in and said, well, actually, don't do this in one shot because it's because it doesn't really work do it like in a couple of shots like this and this and this and it just made the moment like pop a lot more and Martin Campbell was like I'm the director on this <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is like there's really good moments and also like yeah great great moments where you capture like a, a a family going wrong like the heartbreak of it like I think him discovering that affair like he manages to to, to capture a, a subtle heartbreak in it um, and it and it, and it grips you. There's a really good shot, actually, when, again, he's kind of filming on the Super 8 when they move to California. And Bert is carrying Mitzi, like, into the house, as like, you traditionally yeah. husband and wife used to do. And it almost freezes on Mitzi's expression and Bert's expression. And then there is that kind of, like, that torture in Mitzi's face and the fact that she doesn't want to really be a part of this. this or you, you can tell that the family's kind of breaking up. She doesn't really want to be with Bert anymore. And when they'll see something like that, I think that probably is exactly that something that happened within yeah. Spielberg. I and mean, he can remember that shot. And he wants to take the shot and then like present it in this way. And I think there is something... I, I do like those subtleties in the film, obviously. That it, bit's not that subtle. No, I no, mean, no. Yeah, yeah. You know. it's, it's, but it's, it's a way... I do think that's like an example of something that did actually happen yeah. in, in uh, Spielberg's life that he, that he takes and puts into the Fablemans. Did uh, another bit I really liked was the the kind of whole sequence about the first kiss. Sam has his first girlfriend. The idea of this first kiss it should be very dull. The the two actors in it just managed to like find the magic. Like it just really shouldn't work. It should be boring and forgettable. But actually, it's really funny and it's charming and it's raunchy. And he sort of achieves that by knowing just when to bring this like visual gag in here or make the actors like take their facial expressions from like. A, a five all the way to like an eight or a nine it's really hard when you're watching a Spielberg film and I think my experience with it was pretty mixed but there's just moments in it that you can't deny just really pop and really work and stuff and you know a lot of the time actually I started to think is like is this movie getting a kind of a different treatment because it's about Spielberg it's Spielberg on Spielberg and if this would would this just be a tv movie if it was anyone else, and maybe it would be, but then there are these techniques that work really, really well. So yeah, um, and I think it's important that we we kind of look about the uh, on those acts as well, because the great thing about Spielberg is that he makes these films of these you know for hundreds of millions of dollars with this these huge these huge spectacles basically, uh, but actually he gets really nuanced performances for his actors, and we kind of see that when Sammy is growing up because 
the films that Sammy makes, so he makes a yeah. train crash when he's about four or five years old. Then he makes a cowboy film when he's in his teenagers. Then he makes a war film as well. And then finally at the end when he's in his latter years at high school, he makes a documentary when all like his year go to the beach. And yeah. it's kind of like a silly camp comedy, right? Where he... You know, he he films people from a yeah from a like as a documentarian basically, um, but we kind of see that about how it, in, especially in the train crash he learns how to film spectacle yeah and then in the cowboy film he he understands like how to how certain techniques work because there are points where he cuts the film to make it look like they're real gunshots and his father that's when his father is almost like at his most enigmatic and surprised because on the way home his father's like how did you do that how did you do that and. There's that sense again, like his father's the the mechanical side, and he's really interested in the special effects. Yeah, where, and that's that. I think that's really well played. But in the war film, and especially, you see him how he tries to get a like a performance out of his lead actor, mm. and again, that's him kind of learning the ropes and how you can work with an actor to get a really really big performance out of them. And then finally, the documentary is kind of interesting because he understands how to manipulate the viewer and creates like heroes and villains because. With the people that he's filming, there's one like I mean, he's basically been bullied by these two and received a lot of anti-Semitism mm. of these two guys at high school, and he turns one of them into the hero and one of them into the villain, and he does that like purely just through just through filming them and editing them, and I just think that's a really like nice way of explaining how as a young filmmaker you learn this this kind of this language of cinema and yeah. how it kind of works and how you can construct a film. And and and, I, and the funny thing is, I'm quite. That's another thing that I'm kind of torn on in in the Fablemans is because the filmmaking side of it is maybe the strongest part. Him making the war film is actually maybe like my favourite bit in it, because like if you are a filmmaker or an artist, this probably is worth seeing for you. Just some of the ideas it channels, like ha- how you can actually just make a thing and trying to conquer certain like problems and limitations and how you create a story and how you get the best out of the people that you've that you've got around you and, and the people on screen and, and the and the magic that you can create. It is all there. And Spielberg has a lot of magic in him. You know, I'm not I'm not down on Spielberg, I think he's wonderful. And then I mean this is him trying to show his love for the medium and he achieves that. And and yeah, and I think that anyone that's ever aspired or or still aspires to be a filmmaker, like this this is essential watching. I think you'll get a lot out of this. But then at the same time, some of that stuff that you described is also also the weakest part because some of this stuff just left me really scratching my head. That thing just after where he's creating like a hero and a villain, yeah, he gets an emotional reaction out of one of the bullies, right? Because he makes this film. And, and at first it works because I, I felt like, oh, you're challenging something about the illusion and the mystery of film and the fact that he made him one person be a hero, one person be a villain, and that there's something that's in, inherently made the, the bully kind of uncomfortable about it. But then it just becomes weird, like someone having like a breakdown and Sam and, and this bully like having this kind of resolution and, and a message that just feels out of nowhere and it just... You know, it just feels like it's taking place on another planet. But of course, it's taking place in Spielberg's mind, right? This is Spielberg trying to interpret his experiences and his, and his emotions into a narrative. So on screen, some of, some of this stuff is going to look silly because that kind of thing just doesn't really feel like it's in any kind of reality and just feels off. I'd actually kind of disagree with you there because uh, there's a line in it where... and it, Yeah, I, I agree. When I was watching that, it did feel a little bit off, but then... 
the bully says to Sammy, don't you dare make a film about this one day. And Sammy's like, I promise I won't. Yeah, and I, I, just, ugh, I just kind of hate that because then we're all just... That is massively self-indulgent. And yeah. Actually, there's a final scene towards the end of... Well, the final scene in this film is the most self-indulgent. And, and I actually, probably the part of them I hated the most because it's completely unnecessary and kind of superfluous to the whole story. That line that, you know, that, that he says, I kind of think, well, maybe this did happen because why would you write this into the film? Maybe this is like a wink and a nod to the sense that even though this does seem completely out of step and why would this bully suddenly turn into this like fragile human being? But actually the fact that that line's in there may, maybe thinks that perhaps it is... It is real, but... Or a version of it. Or a version of it, yeah. And actually, that's what I kind of found interesting, because when people make films about films, and they're constantly, like, referencing films that have been part of their upbringing or they've been been interested in... Yeah. The film that that Spielberg mentions here is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Mm. And Sammy and his friends go see the film, and Sammy is clearly fascinated by it. And without telling the whole plot of the story, there's a key part where a newspaper editor finds out about the truth about a heroic senator yeah. that could damage his reputation. However, like at the end of that film, the editor chooses not to reveal it and says, in the West, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. So I do kind of wonder if Spielberg is kind of making the legend rather than the truth in the end. Yeah, I think he definitely is. I think a film like this like, it is, is all about that, right? And what is cinema but a beautiful lie? You know, yeah. So essentially, like, watching this kind of imagined yeah. reality of what happened. I mean, even even from the mechanical side, right? I mean, at the beginning, they establish, you know, we're not really watching movement; we're watching a series of photographs that that create the illusion of movement because yeah. that's what cinema is, right? And cinema creates these legends and stuff. So yeah, I mean, that's what it. Yeah, that's what it is. But it's I, just one big lie, then. It is. <laughs> it is. And I mean, maybe a project like this is just inherently self indulgent. You know, you can't help but slip into making a film about the way you wanted things to be rather than the, the, when they what they actually were. Like I said, this is about capturing emotions. It doesn't have to be a documentary. Like, that's impossible. You, you do just need to capture how something felt. So I guess that's fine, but, like, in the end, it's, it's just going to be self-indulgence and schmaltzy, and I found it really hard to shake that feeling, even though it made me feel like a Grinch. Oh, and um, there was a, a really weird description of what it's like to smoke weed by that bully as well. That sounds like it's from someone who's never smoked weed. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I was just, it really bothered me. Like, like, it's all, feels like the world's in chaos. It's like, uh, Stephen, <laughs> maybe you haven't lived quite as much as you, you think you have. Yeah. No, I, I think overall, I, like, actually, it's, it's resonated a lot more with me since I've left the cinema. And yeah, I think my favourite part is that kind of duality between Mitzi and Bert and how that creates, like, Sammy or Stephen, the the filmmaker. And it, it's two great performances from Michelle Williams and Paul Dano as the parents. And yeah, and I think that kind of central idea is good and yeah. it definitely makes the film worth watching. And yeah, you kind of understand how, like, Sammy develops as a person, as a filmmaker, through the relationship with his parents. So I think for that alone, I think it's I think it's really good. I, I kind of became really interested in this because before I saw the film, I listened to Steven Spielberg on Desert Island Discs. And Desert Island Discs is basically like a Radio 4 show where he talks about like which songs he would take to a, to a desert island. You're up on all the hip 
like podcasts, <laughs> aren't you? Desert Island Discs. What a trendy show. Yeah, I, I actually think, though, it's... A no, good... it is really great. It's a great show. But I, I think, actually, if you really like the Fablemans, or whether you didn't like the Fablemans, it's kind of essential listening, because he kind of digs a bit deeper into it, and he's quite self-deprecating about it. He says, yeah, this is like a bit of... It could just be a two-hour therapy session for me, this film. Mm. He lost both parents quite recently, kind of in the past five or six years. And actually, I think he is kind of making this film as a bit of a catharsis and as a bit of a love letter to them. Yeah. And actually, there's... I mean, the film ends at a certain point in in, in Sammy's career. You know, he goes... Yeah. I think he's just about to... You know, he's, well, he's basically just about to get into the, to the industry without trying to spoil it too much. Yeah. But actually, like, there is this hint from his father that, you know, things could work out in the end as, like, in terms of the family... Uh, and yeah, and if you listen to Desert Island Discs, then um, yeah, it is quite a, it, it, you know, the family does end up in a good place eventually. But yeah, I, I think it's very sweet. I think it's very melancholy. I think it is probably a bit safe. It is, you know, Spielberg being being sentimental, but that's what he's done his whole career. So I think if you're a fan of him, then you'll definitely like The Fablemans. Yeah, I mean, on that ending, I, I think that I found the, the ending a bit weird. Um, I mean, I think if you want, an example of how the film doesn't really have a really good direction or, or a bit of a muddled identity, then it's this sort of anecdote that did actually really happen to, to, to Spielberg. But it doesn't really feel like it's wrapping up anything, certainly not this film. It feels like it's a sort of ending to one half of the film, but not the other half. And oh, not... it's the weakest part of the film. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> what, the ending? The ending. You yeah, really... yeah I referenced it earlier. I think, I think it's so self-indulgent, I think. I know he's told that story. I know he probably wanted to create that for the screen, but uh, and he's as in Spielberg's. He's been interviewed about this this meeting yeah. that did actually happen. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a really weird place to to end the film. But I didn't, it, didn't like it at all. In some ways, it tells you everything you need to know about the film, or everything I feel about the film anyway, because it it just feels like a victory lap. Like we're not really supposed to judge it properly because it's the semi-autobiography of this you know titan of cinema and we're just supposed to give him a pass like an uncle telling the same story he always tells at christmas or something that that and that just isn't really good enough for me i mean so i think in the end i think my conclusion is is it's not really worth seeing like the movie is fine it's it's not horrible and if you love spielberg or you want to be a filmmaker then yeah watch it but for most of you most people listening to this it's just not worth your time it, it just isn't i don't know what to do anymore you do what your heart says you have to what was your favorite part If you like this, then watch The Hand of God from 2021. Directed by Paolo Sorrentino, the film centres on Fabietto as he comes of age in 1980s Naples. Fabietto is something of a loner, but is closely connected to his exuberant extended family, and especially to his parents. However, when tragedy strikes, he is orphaned, and has to decide how to deal with his guilt, loss and grief. Fabietto, it's time to look the future. Dobbiamo capire cosa vogliamo fare da grande. 
Io penso un po' alla felicità, Fabio. Tu no? So for a start, this is a filmmaker in Palo Sorrentino making an autobiographical piece, like with Spielberg and the Fablemans. Many of the events that happened in the film are very similar to what happened with Sorrentino when he was a teenager, including the death of his parents. Fabietto is more of a voyeur. Unlike Sammy, we never see him pick up a camera or create anything. But the way he observes shows he's building the language of cinema in his mind. He intakes Naples' criminal underbelly, absorbs music and studies the comedy of his loved ones, that could become elements of his storytelling in later life. Like in Spielberg's tale, towards the end we see Fabietto meet one of his mentors, Antonio Capuano, in a conversation that affects him personally as well as professionally. Interestingly, whilst in Fablemans, Sammy receives technical advice from his idol, we see Fabietto taught a lesson in emotion and how great pain makes great directors. The Fablemans is definitely sweeter and more earnest than this. Sexuality is a prominent feature all the way through, and something Spielberg doesn't really touch, not that he ever has in the rest of his portfolio. <laughs> I think this explicitness will help the hand of God become more remarkable in years to come, whilst Fableman sinks into the background compared to Spielberg's more mainstream output. Ultimately though, both films share this concept about telling personal stories on the big screen. This is the first time in their rich careers they're telling a narrative about themselves rather than other people, which does take an incredible amount of bravery. We journey into the psyche of a filmmaker and an artist and see what drives them, what influences them, and why they have a desire to tell a story on the most accessible artistic medium of them all. Yeah, I haven't seen this one, but our conversation and your description of that makes me want to watch that. Yeah, I think Sorrentino definitely has smoke and weed. If, uh, <laughs> to, use your, <laughs> to use your reference. And basically what I mean by that is that it's more sexy, it's more dangerous, there's yeah. a lot more vitality. I like the sound of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What Fabietta has to go through, losing both parents at that age, yeah. obviously has a, has a damaging effect on him. And yeah, he kind of has to learn throughout the rest of the film about how to how to deal with that, how to manage that. As I've sort of said, well, and you know, Spammy doesn't really go through that trauma in the Fablemans, but you know, and Fabiato has to deal with that. But, but ultimately, I think that's what kind of drives him to cinema and makes him even more resolute in becoming a director and telling stories yeah. in in that world. Is it inevitably a bit self indulgent? Yes. It is well. I mean, I say a bit self-indulgent. I think it can't. I think lots of things can be a bit self-indulgent. I mean, is it self-indulgent? Would you describe it as that? Mass- yeah, massively. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and yeah, there is kind of something even more illusory about this than than the film was. I know we we've kind of discussed a little bit what what actually did happen in and what what was true life and what was kind of Spielberg just kind of dramatizing events for artistic purposes. But in this, it's just a lot more fluid and it's a lot more dreamlike. The sequence where he meets his one of one of his mentors, um, the the director that Fabietto meets. Obviously, I don't think that actually happens, <laughs> uh, and actually, the timelines for that don't quite quite link up when Sorrentino was growing up and when I think this this Italian director was quite prominent. Okay. Um, but with obviously that meeting, we definitely know happened between Spielberg and John Ford. I don't think we've actually mentioned that it's John Ford that he meets. That sequence does feel much more dreamlike. So maybe he's kind of taken this this traumatic event, Sorrentino, and then he's created this this world of Naples around it. And But it's, it's a lot about the city itself, really, and about that that era that he was going through. So I guess like The Fair Woman's is about kind of 50s and 60s America, this is very much about, about 1980s Italy. 
Yeah, I'm more interested in 1980s Italy, I guess. Uh, whole thing sounds a lot more interesting. Yeah, and also, you know, you get a bit about Diego Maradona. So, ah, uh, okay. That's like so that's idea. that's what this. Oh, God, I forgot this. Of course, it's called the Hand of God, isn't it? Of course, it, of course, it's about football. That's why you, you you're talking about no, it. No, it's, it's not. any excuse. It's not. Damn it, Sam! It's this not. is a film podcast because I could feel you almost ready. Re- you ready to pivot? Be like, Maradona's a very interesting character. Actually, you should really look at his agility in Game X or something <laughs> like that. And then, oh, and then 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 we're lost. Yeah, the Maradona uh, segment isn't actually hugely vital to to the film. I'd say, but I don't know. I think it's kind of this idea of, of genius and. And how that kind of can influence people. He's he's definitely like a part of it, but slightly in the background. He's this kind of character in the background. Not that you ever, you know, not that he ever speaks or says. Why are you called the hand of God then? That's not that doesn't show that the hand of God isn't Maradona showing his genius. That's him cheating. That's 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 what that him handballing a, 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 a you know a, 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 a in the World Cup a, a goal a, a ball into a goal. He's oh, God. You- <laughs> <laughs> showing how much of a <laughs> showing how much of a football person I am, um, and balling a goal. Well, watch watch the film, and then maybe you will become more of a, more of a football person. And maybe mm. you could explain to me why why Diego Maradona, or why they call it the Hand of God. Yeah, maybe I should. All right, I'm gonna have to watch this then. And if you didn't like this, then you should watch One Cut of the Dead uh, from 2017. Spielberg is possibly the most famous, most popular, most successful filmmaker ever. And The Fablemans is how he started and his tribute to filmmaking. So if all that status and huge budget turns your stomach and you want to see filmmaking from the other end of the spectrum with a bit more splatter, then this is the one for you. But be warned... This film is most effective going in blind, and the blinder you can go in, the better. So, best to watch it, then listen to this bit. But if you don't really care, never mind. But it is on 4OD at the moment, so there's there's good opportunity to. One Cut of the Dead is about a filmmaker making a zombie film in an abandoned water treatment plant. To complete his vision, he uses an ancient spell to summon real zombies with disastrous results. But will it make his magnum opus? And here's a clip. But wait! One Cut of the Dead isn't actually about that. Because after we watch that film that lasts about 30 minutes, we cut to the making of that film and how one director has to string together a one-take zombie film about making a zombie film that will be shot and broadcast live on Japanese TV with just his friends, family and passion, even when the shoot keeps going wrong. And here's a clip. But wait! No, really, that is what the film's about. So here's, here's a clip. So this is a short but effective loving tribute to making a movie any way you can. This is not about someone making their magnum opus, funnily enough. This is about a simple, wild idea for a movie that a guy has to make any way he can and how he navigates the chaos of doing something creative like that. But it turns into this loving tribute to indie filmmaking, to just going out there and just 
making something and the joy and the collaboration and the anarchy of of making something on a shoestring or closer to a shoestring it goes from this kind of gimmicky horror flick into this farce which is akin to something actually theatre shows like Noises Off or the play that goes wrong channel where you're seeing behind the scenes of something and that's the comedy seeing behind the scenes but the comedy also comes from seeing this film twice in two different angles and that's executed really well particularly memorable is the director's wife who always wanted to be an actress and goes full method, going off script and being one of the many, many disruptive forces that happen during the film being broadcast. It's a proper film about the joy and passion of wanting to be an artist and how you don't always make perfect works, but goddamn if it's not the best feeling in the world when you do actually make the thing. It's a really fun little piece and absolutely more essential than The Fablemans if you want to be a filmmaker. One Cut of the Dead is something that you should see. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> really? That sounds. Like- I'm really surprised. I didn't think you'd you'd be yeah, interested. In you that. should have done the promotion for this film. <laughs> I just really like the sound of that that splice. You know, the fact that you get like a zombie film, and then you get the whole production behind it, and how he's and how they're trying to make it, and yeah, and actually the the second part, or I don't know whether it's like it's a it's one third, and then the, the two thirds is is the rest of the film. Well, that that two-thirds sounds absolutely fascinating and thrilling. Yeah, it is. It's really good. It does become this farce, and it is really funny, but there is a kind of warmth to it. There is actually also definitely a link with family, because he enlists his his wife and his daughter to, to help him out making the film. So there's still that family element and that kind of collaboration, but it's just in this completely different square, and... You know, he's not trying to be John Ford. He's probably not even trying to be, like, George Romero or something. Like, he's just he's just trying to make this thing, this silly little thing that isn't really going to go anywhere. And it, it's actually funny because the film itself was made with amateurs and on a very amateur level for not very much money at all. And it was a surprise hit in Japan and then went round the world and got some buzz and a cult following, and even a French remake, actually, <laughs> which wow. is funny. And they did actually make a couple of follow-ups to it, even even Stranger, one even during COVID. Like, the director said, oh, I want to make, like, a follow-up that is about trying to do something in the pandemic and stuff like that. It, it's got its whole legacy. It does, really. It's very, it's very meta. It's very it's it's very meta when you when you look at this the the legacy of it, but again it's kind of I guess it has like a small amount of sentimentality about about family and making you know about how oh like definitely that crossover between between family and making films. But that's funny, isn't it? Because it, it doesn't really feel sentimental in the same way that yeah. I cri- criticise the Fablemans for. It's a lot more ambitious than the Fablemans is. It's not. It's also not trying to be autobiographical, even though obviously it's channeling real experiences. Yeah. Like it's it's just about filmmaking. You know, it's just about and it's just about the the, the bottom rung of filmmaking. You know, I, I find that so much more charming, so much more interesting. And when you make films on that level that people talk about, you know, you just have to become very, very creative. You do. And obviously obviously Spielberg doesn't really make films at that level anymore. You know, he's got the the safety and the backing of a huge production company, but and that's that's fair enough. Because, yeah, you know of he course. deserves to make films on that level. But yeah, I guess that's maybe part of the problem about the films that it does feel quite safe. 
and quite friendly. But One Cut of the Dead sounds just much more sort of edgy and much more experimental. It, it, it is a lot more experimental. And I, I found out yesterday that One Cut of the Dead is the Western name. But the literal translation of the Japanese name is Don't Stop the Camera. So it, it's, it's, I think even within the, within the title, there's that kind of frenetic energy of, of a bunch of indie filmmakers or amateurs like trying to just make a film, uh, even in that title. Yeah, so there you go. That's the fable. That's the fable. That's um, the hand of God, and that's one cut of the dead. One cut of the dead. Yeah, I don't know if you want to do a little quick conversation about Spielberg, really. Um, whether you've got oh, you don't have to make it so so sounds so artificial. <laughs> no, 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 that's true. I, I mean, I, I think he, yeah, Spielberg. I mean, he's, yeah, the, he's, he's the most you know famous Western director of of all time. I think maybe that's that's a claim you could you could put for him. I think you could argue that he's he might be the most. Important. No, actually, that's work out his title is very dull. Like whether what what accolades you really want to give him. Yeah, it, that's right. We, yeah, we should talk about his films. That's we I should talk about his films yeah. and the actual content because well, I mean, he's great. He is great, and there are he's kind of more expensive and outlandish films in, in Saving Private Ryan and, and Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Ready Player yeah. One, which was made a bit more recently. Ugh. And there are more. He's kind of more poignant and cerebral films like Catch Me If You Can and and Bridge of Spies, and I kind of prefer them. Um, and I'm not criticising those those huge expensive films. I love parts of Jaws and, and Indiana Jones, but there's something more interesting when he makes a film on a, on a smaller scale, which is yeah. kind of perhaps why I, I'm disappointed I didn't. Even though I think there is a depth to the Fablemans that I found and you didn't, I, I, yeah. I I'm disappointed that I didn't like it like a lot more because yeah, as I say, Bridge of Spies and Catch Me If You Can, uh, they're probably the two films that I I return to most when I when I think of Spielberg. When I think about Spielberg, I want to return to, you know, I want to return to Ready Player One, obviously. <laughs> you didn't like that, I, did I, you? I fucking hate Ready Player One. Like, it's just awful. No, but this was this this end part was going to be like a celebration. <laughs> it is, it is. I it's could not slag about his terrible films. It's not, you know, he also made Indiana Jones and... <laughs> King, King of, of the, the Crystal, Crystal Skull. Skull. <laughs> well, I, I like those films too. I do like Catch Me If You Can. But I, I mean, my, my favourite Spielberg is... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I think it's got to be. I think Indian the Last Crusade in particular capture what big cinema can be and yeah. how much fun it can be, how it can go between generations and how there's some real magic there. I mean, I think Last Crusade is great particularly because like the you know there there are like lots of great big action sequences and lots of stuff that Spielberg is famous for that he does the best, but at the at the same time, at the centre of it, you have this really dysfunctional relationship between Indy and his dad that comes along for the adventure, and their their duo, their comedy is really really great because suddenly you're seeing Indiana Jones that's been established as this like kind of ultimate action hero suddenly being made to feel like really awkward and sheepish in front of his dad and everything. You know, you, you almost wonder whether there must be, you know, m- maybe Spielberg's channeling like a father-son relationship. I mean, in The Fablemans, it's a lot more, you know, wholesome and happy. But his da- but Indy's dad, Henry Jones Sr., is also quite mechanical. And it also does shy away from 
the an emotionless Im- vacuum. A bit of an yeah, a bit emotionless. Like at his core, he's got like he's got love of something, but he's also like quite a heart. You know, he's quite a he's quite a cold father in in so many ways. And the film kind of, but the film manages to explore that relationship and make it really funny and fun. And it's just it's just great. I mean, apart from that, yeah, like. His creature features like Jaws and Jurassic Park yeah. are also excellent. I mean, Jaws is amazing. Jaws, I mean, again, like, you know... But the, the, I mean, again, it's, it's what I'm kind of returning to. It's the performances it in is. Jaws and Jurassic Park, which are so, so good. I mean, the thing is about Spielberg is that he is this institution and he is, and he is this name that means, like, big cinema. Some people will think of it being like, oh, it's Christmas, put on a Steven Spielberg film. But, like, you watch Jaws and you, and you just... It's so tense... And the characters in it are, are really, really good. And they build this amazing foundation. There's so much of that in all his films. And it's why he's so successful and why people really link him with magic, right? Because it's not... It, it, yeah, like, there, yeah, there's, like, schmaltz and there's, like, fun and adventure and something. But the magic is there in the characters and the relationships and how does he really build that how does he make you cry in et i mean i think that was probably one of the the first film that i cried at watching is is et yeah and and again i think it's the combination of of things as a filmmaker it's the technique it's it's the visual flair that you reference it's the performances and yeah but it's also the music as well it's the cinematography it's it's everything really and it's why he's kind of the master of his art the fact that he can bring all those things together really and yeah, because I mean, it's just obviously directing can be an incredibly like stressful and difficult and complex job. You you're working under so many different restrictions a lot of the time. But the fact that Spielberg can you know bring all as like a puppeteer can can do all these amazing technical things while also creating this like human and emotional core is why people love his films and people are such a, you know will champion him and and those films will will last eternity. Yeah, and I think they will. Maybe, maybe not Ready Player One though. <laughs> We're gonna have to do a whole podcast. I would love. Ready Player. That's your catharsis. I would love to. It's a, <laughs> it's a stupid film. Is there got... any way? Is there any way? I mean, obviously, there are some people that might not have seen it. Is there a really quick summary of the story and why you hate it? So this is much? supposed to be the conclusion, but like, so I don't know if I really have time to go into it. <laughs> It's it's nonsense, nostalgia, and like an adventure film that dives into pop culture in the most plastic and forgettable of ways that kind of represents all the worst of pop culture. It wraps up with a message about the internet, which is stupid and is not needed. One of the most horrible sequences is this recreation of The Shining with everything about The Shining that's good drained from it and turned into like this plastic YouTube video almost. It's horrible. It's a stupid film. Okay, that's fine. Now say something nice about Spielberg. About a Spielberg film. You've already talked about The Last Crusade. Talk about another part of a Spielberg film that you love, just for balance. I mean, obviously, let's talk about Temple of Doom then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, all that funny stuff that happens. Oh. And short round, he's a little kid and stuff. Yeah. He's funny, just, isn't he? Let's, let's just end the podcast there. <laughs> you know, we, he's, Spiel, Spielberg's, he's, he's great. He's, I love him. No, he's, he is great. Of course he's great. But 
Here's to hoping that maybe The Fablemans isn't the last film he makes. Yeah, here's to that. Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.